We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. The Oracle Network. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stangle. Hello. Hello. Hi. We are recording at night this time. Mm-hmm. It has been a long day. Yeah, we actually saw it today. We did. Mm-hmm. This episode may get weird. So it's definitely going to get weird. Buckle up, children. Okay, so apparently I need to include a disclaimer. Our dad isn't super murdery. He heard about this story, thought it sounded interesting. It fits within our timeline parameters for our show. Mm -hmm. So he was like, maybe you should look into it. And he probably Mm -hmm. didn't really know when he asked just how murdery it is. So... I have a feeling he had no idea how murdery it actually is. But that kind of makes us better. Prepare thyself for what is to come. So now that I've like hyped it up as like super crazy, this week we're going to be discussing the Harp Brothers. The Harp Brothers? Mm-hmm. I don't think I've heard of them. Or I might have in a movie or something and forgot. Okay, good. So this is all going to be fresh for you. That's great. I'm... Goldfish memory, man. All right. Well, let's get into it. So information was pulled from the following sources. A 2020 Legends of America article by Kathy Weiser. A 2019 Appalachia Bear article by Delonda Anderson. 2019 Headstuff article by, I think it's Karen Conleaf. 2018 All That's Interesting article by Kara Goldfarb. A 2018 The Scotsman article. 2017 The Lineup article by Stephanie Almazon. Six different sources on genie.com nice and murderpedia Ooh, not wikipedia but murderpedia yeah because murderpedia had wikipedia's thing in there so i didn't have to use wikipedia because it was all in one place but like murderpedia is way more murdery than regular wikipedia (laughs) foreshadowing (laughs) (laughs) and links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes So I'm just going to give a general trigger warning right at the start. Okay. We will be talking about some men who did some really awful things, not just to other men, but also to women and children. Great. If this is subject matter that is upsetting to you, I suggest either skipping around or perhaps listening to a different episode. I'll do my best to put in specific trigger warnings when we will be talking about sexual assault and infanticide. Oh, infanticide. Yeah. Can I opt out? (laughs) No. No? No, you have to listen. It's in your contract. It's in my contract. Being your sister. Being my sister. So we know now that serial killers tend to have a calling card or a modus operandi that they stick to. During the late 1700s, if you found a body with the guts ripped out, and stones filling its open chest, you knew the people who done it were the Hart brothers. 
Gross. What? Yeah. So they just like had stones at the ready in case they wanted to murder someone? Well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Mm-hmm. Nikki <laughs> Big Harp and Wiley Little Harp were born in Orange County, North Carolina. Mickey, whose real name was Joshua, was born in 1768, though some think as early as 1748. How did he get the nickname Mickey if his name is Joshua? (laughs) I don't know if it was like a middle name. Like Michael? Like Mikey? Well, it's pronounced Mickey, but it's spelled M-I-C-A-J-A-H. Ew. What? (laughs) Everything's wrong already. (laughs) Like, I'm already upset at him. (laughs) Murder aside. Why? (laughs) So, I I don't know. North Carolina, why? (laughs) What happened? Why did you do this? So, Mickey, whose real name was Joshua, was born in 1768, although some think it was as early as 1748 to parents James Burton Harper and Sarah Harper. Wiley, whose real name was William, okay, that makes more sense. was born in 1770, though some think it's more likely in 1750, to parents John William Harper and Mary Harper. Okay, how do you get 20 years off somebody's age? So... <laughs> That's a lot of years, man. Like 10 years off, like sure. Well, 20 years off? I'll get into it. <laughs> I already hate it. <laughs> I agree with you. I will explain. So the two were first cousins. Their families, who were a pair of brothers, had immigrated to Orange County, North Carolina from Scotland around 1760. Okay. So when they came to America, I don't know if they didn't have papers showing that they obviously were alive if they had been born 20 years earlier. Right. You know, or if they, you know, were quote unquote born in America upon moving to America. You know what I mean? Like there's no actual birth date for them. It's just a rough guesstimate of years. So. Okay. And they're not actually brothers. So they don't use their real names and they're not actual brothers. Correct. And their ages vary by 20 years yes already we'll get into why this is such a big deal later on but it will it will make sense kind of maybe hopefully Mm -hmm. their parents were tories and loyalists and changed their last names from harper to harp to blend in with their patriotic neighbors Ooh, gosh i really don't like them now You move here and you don't love freedom and you're Scottish and you don't love freedom. How dare you? How dare you? Get out. (laughs) Get out of my non-existent country yet. Exactly. They're trash and hate freedom. Got it. Not much is known about their childhood other than the fact that they grew up near each other during their time in North Carolina. Growing up, they soon earned the nicknames Big and Little, not just because Mickey was older, bony and muscular, but because Wiley was so much smaller than him and he was the brains of the operation. Isn't that usually how it goes in like every story and cartoon ever? 
the tiny yeah, one. Yeah, like Pinky in the Brain. Yeah. Oh my God. How dare, how dare you use Pinky in the Brain to describe these non-Americans <laughs> that hate freedom. Off. I love putting rocks in people. What? <laughs> aggressive, aggressive geology. That's what it is. They don't teach that anymore in school. It's not a major yeah, you can no, go into. Very niche market. <laughs> very niche. It is stated that when they were still children, they watched as their parents were brutally tortured and hanged for being loyalists, which may have been the event that started them down the dark road their lives would become. Yeah, that on. would probably do it. Yeah, yeah. Tor- yep. Yep, that would do it. But also, like, America. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. That's really awful. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is really awful. It is really awful. I'm sorry your parents got tortured and stuff. Yeah. That's no one nice. deserves that. No. But like you guys might. They earn it. It all work it all it all works out for <sighs> them. I don't I don't know. Uh we'll get into it. So the now orphaned pair left home in seventeen seventy five for Virginia, where they intended to try their hand at being slave overseers. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. They're just grade A people. Cool. Mm-hmm. Really liking themselves. Unfortunately well. for them, the American Revolution broke out. So instead, the duo decided to uh, take the side of the British. Yep. Saw that coming. Honestly, though, if your parents were like tortured and murdered by one side, it would be really hard to fight for that group. For that so. side, yeah. Yeah, I get that. I get that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. To be clear, that doesn't mean they started carrying around muskets while wearing Tory red. No, no. They were more interested in being violent and taking part in criminal activities rather than working for Queen and Country. Oh, I know them now. Yep. Yeah, I know them now. Ew. Yeah, I remember this. Okay. Okay. And it starts. Trigger warning. Please skip ahead a couple minutes if you need to. The Harps seemed to form a mini posse of like-minded individuals while in the Tory militia, and the group would burn farms, sexually assault women, and pillage the homes of American patriots. Yep. They were part of a rape posse that kidnapped and sexually assaulted three teenage girls. Of course. At one point, when Little Harp was attempting to sexually assault a fourth girl in North Carolina, Captain James Wood of the U.S. Continental Army shot him. Good. Which is good. Yes. Even though Wiley was wounded, he ultimately survived. Boo. In 1780, the Harp boys joined up with actual British troops and took part in several battles along the North and South Carolina borders. They fought in the Battle of Kings Mountain in October of 1780 under the command of Major Patrick Ferguson and the Battles of Blackstocks in November 1780 under Lieutenant Colonel Benastra Tarleton's British Legion. That was a mouthful. Wow. <laughs> this is why we kicked you out. You take too long to make words. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't understand any of that. In January of 1781... They served in their final battle for the British at the Battles of Cowpens before deserting and joined a group of Chickamauga Cherokee Indians. Why did the Cherokee let them in? They're just like, hey, yeah, they... you know, we won't murder you yet, I guess. You seem cool. I really like the small one. 
<laughs> he seems smart. He seems smart. I think they took him in because they just didn't like anybody. And the indigenous peoples were like, well, we hate all these people that are like fighting on we our hate land. Everyone too. So let's team up. So yeah. I think that's how that happened. Okay. Great. But like Cherokee people were great. To be clear, the Cherokee people are not at fault for anything no. <laughs> that had to do with no. the heart boys no. are garbage. But I'm sure yeah. in their minds, they were like, these guys can give us inside information on our enemies. Mm-hmm. Let's let's see what they have to say. Yeah, all's fair in war. I'm, you know, spitballing here. Yeah. It's all bad. It's all bad. It's all bad. Yeah. <laughs> when the opportunity presented itself, the pair took revenge on Captain James Woods for shooting Wiley by kidnapping his daughter, Susan, along with a no. young woman named Maria Davidson who is also known as Betsy Roberts. So her name kind of changes as well. Yeah, why? Everybody was like, it's a new America. I'm going to be George today. Who needs papers when you have war? (laughs) When you have freedom? The Harps, along with four other men and the two kidnapped women, made their way to Tennessee. During the trip, one of the men, a man named Moses Doss, expressed his concerns over the treatment of the two women in their party. He quickly found himself killed for it. Yeah. But like, thanks for trying to be a human. Yeah. Upon reaching Tennessee, the group settled in the village of Nickajack, not far from Chattanooga. The men raided and pillaged settlements in North Carolina and Tennessee during the 12 to 13 years that they lived in the native community with their quote-unquote wives. There must have been a lot of them, right? Like, how could how could just a group of dudes do that for 10 years? Yeah, they settled in a village. The village, who, which was run by headman Turtle at Home, was home to members of several neighboring tribes, as well as white outcasts like the Harps. So people who were kind of like, we don't want to fight in the war at all. We just don't care. It was also a powerful stopping point as Turtle at Home controlled the ferry that crossed the river between Augusta, Georgia and Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, dang. Yeah. So it was like an important place to live, if you will, during that time. And they controlled it for 10 years. Yeah. They stayed there for like 12 to 13 years. Yeah. It was during their time at Nickajack that both women would twice give birth to children that would go on to be killed by their fathers. That's horrifying. So they didn't want children or they tried and then couldn't tolerate children and murdered them? Like, do you know if they murdered him right away? I don't know the specifics, but given how things progress later on, I am assuming they did not want them. But it is also entirely possible that, to play devil's advocate, it's entirely possible that history paints them as killing them, but they may have just died of natural causes. I don't know. But all I know is everywhere that I read, it said that the children were killed by their fathers. Gross. I don't know how or when. Okay. Just at some point during the 12 to 13 years they were there, they each had two children and all four of those children were killed. Died. Okay. A pair of women were treated as slaves, were repeatedly beaten, and sexually assaulted regularly. (sighs) 
Following the British's surrender at Yorktown in 1781, the Chickamauga and a smaller band of Cherokee continued war with the American patriots, and the Harps were only too happy to help them. So this is the, the Indian War. Okay. The pair fought in the Battle of Blue Licks, Kentucky on August 19, 1782, as well as several smaller skirmishes. The U.S. Army coordinated an attack against the Chickamauga at Nickajack in September of 1794, but the Harps learned of it beforehand, along with several other members of the town, and fled with their wives prior to the village being wiped out. Gross. Yeah. But thankfully, they weren't the only ones that managed to escape. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, I just wish they didn't escape because <laughs> they did so many terrible things afterwards. Yeah. The four settled at a new camp where they lived for the next nine months, continuing to make their living by pillaging the local Tennessee villages. By 1795, they were all living together in a cabin on Beavers Creek near Knoxville, Tennessee, not far from the Holston River. The men bred hogs and sold pork to the residents of Knoxville, which at that time was one of the roughest frontier towns in America. If you and so, of it. course, they lived there. Yeah. It was the type of place that had, quote, seven taverns and no church, end quote. So, yep, checks out. Checks out. Yep. Wiley married a woman named Sally Rice on June 1st, 1797. So this is the younger harp. She was a beautiful, frail blonde girl not even 20, when she married Wiley. She also happened to be the daughter of a farmer and preacher who married them. Ew. Yeah. Something does not seem right at all, like a bribe or something. I don't know how that, how he like wooed her or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. Not to be outdone by his cousin, on September 5th, 1797, Susanna Roberts, a.k.a. Susan Wood, married Mickey Harp in Blount County, Tennessee. Following Wiley's marriage to Sally, Maria slash Betsy would go on to become Mickey's second wife slash lover, although it seems more likely that Maria became a concubine for both men. Yeah. yeah I was just going to say, I doubt that they'd let the two original women go. Yeah, so the one that was kidnapped in retaliation against her dad who shot the younger one she married the older one, Mickey. I doubt it was something she was interested in doing. Yeah, but Stockholm Syndrome is a thing. So yeah. I suppose if you're with somebody for over a decade, that's all you know. And we kind of we get into that later too. Yeah. It's said that during this time, at least two of the women gave birth, making their party seven in number. <sighs> it wasn't long before the town's livestock started to go missing and barns would mysteriously catch fire. Regardless, the harp men would have plenty of pork to sell at the butcher each time they made a trip into town. Isn't that funny? Funny how it works. Miracle Farm. Yeah, Miracle Farm. Not long after this, Edward Teal's thoroughbred horses were stolen, and a posse captured the harps to bring them into the Knoxville jail. The pair were somehow able to escape. Yeah, I bet that didn't take much. <laughs> 1798 is when the Harps killing spree would really start, earning themselves the moniker of America's first serial killers. The first two men they killed were a man named Johnson in Knox County, who would later be found disemboweled and weighted down with rocks in the Holston River, which is the river that was where they used to live. Okay. Johnson had run into the Harps at a bar named Hughes Rowdy Groggery. That's a really cute name for a bar. It is a really cute name. Groggery? 
groggery yeah we need to bring that back i want a groggery to go to i don't know if i want to drink grog but it sounds fun sounds fun to get rowdy yeah the other was a peddler named peyton that they'd robbed while traveling the cumberland gap into kentucky they also ran into a preacher named lambeth who they robbed but for some reason since he was a man of the cloth they let him live that becomes a recurring thing Okay. Yeah. Well, they have I, some I sort of more moral system, moral system. I don't know. That's yeah. Uh, that's all bad. <laughs> December 1798, the men had officially moved into Kentucky, where they murdered two men from Maryland named Paca and Bates, who had been traveling in the area. Okay, so just because they they were why they're just traveling, and they were like, you know what, murder. I'm sure it's something where they were like, we can rob these people and we don't want them telling people what anymore. happened. So we're just, yeah. So we're just going to kill them. Gross. You might be saying to yourself, why kill people? Did they need the money? See, that's the thing. They seem to kill because they liked it. Yeah. If the fact that they would disembowel their victims before filling their abdomen with rocks and sinking them in a nearby river was any indication. That's where the rock mm -hmm. thing comes in is they put them in the river to, like, hide the corpse. Okay, where there was river rocks accessible. Yes. Okay. <sighs> the group of five, so the two children must have been disposed of at some point, yep. stopped at Ferris's Inn near the town of Crab Orchard, where a man named John Langford, who was also listed as having the first name of Stephen and Thomas, but in at least two of my sources he was listed as John, so I'm going to go with John. But I think it's really sad that no one really knows this guy's real name. Yeah, that's that's a bummer. Sorry, Steve yeah. John Thomas. Yeah, Thomas, Steve John. That was my name too. Whenever <laughs> we go out, the people always check. John, Steve, <laughs> Thomas Langford. Da 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 da. <laughs> Let's bring it back. It's for him. <laughs> Sorry. So we're a man named John Langford who was traveling from Virginia to Kentucky offered to pay for their food and lodgings, which was an extremely kind thing for him to do for five people he'd never met before. Right. And why? The two men could tell by looking at him that Mr. Langford was a man of means. Mm -hmm. So they persuaded the man to travel with them to, quote unquote, protect him against beasts, thieves, and murderers. Yeah. We would know because we're all of those things. <laughs> we're all of them. In one. We're all of them. When his body was discovered a couple days later by cattle herders, the innkeeper notified the authorities that they should be looking at the harps. A posse located the harp gang on Christmas Day, 1798, and transported them to Stanford Jail in Lincoln County, Kentucky. The men were indicted on January 4th, after which they and their heavily pregnant wives were then transported to Danville Jail to await trial. Maria slash Betsy gave birth to a son in February. Susan gave birth to a daughter in March. And Sally gave birth to a son a few weeks after that. Mm. The men were able to escape on March 16th, 1799. And when a posse led by John Ballinger was sent to bring them back in, the son of Colonel Daniel Trabu, a man who had helped the authorities bring them in the first time, was found dead and horribly mutilated. 13-year-old Johnny had been killed for flour and beans, and his body was, quote, macerated by their blows, almost dismembered by their knives, end quote. 
Wow. So very aggressive. They clearly wanted to get out, get up some steam. Yep. Gross. Meanwhile, the women were left behind and acquitted in April 1779. Keep in mind, all three of them had given birth while they were incarcerated. Yeah. Yeah. The people of Danville came together to provide the three women with money, items, and an old mare so they could travel to Knoxville with their children. To try to get away? Well, they had nowhere else to go. I mean... I'd almost just try to keep them there to protect them, you know? I don't know if because they were originally from, like, the Knoxville-type area, if they were like, well, we're just going to go home. You know what I mean? Yeah. See if they can go home, live a life. Yeah. Apparently, after about 30 miles, the women changed direction and started heading to the Green River, where they traded the mare for a canoe. The women used the canoe to meet up with the Hart men at a predetermined place. I hate it so much. In her write-up for Appalachia Bear, Delonda Anderson noted that many people believed the women had Stockholm Syndrome from being with their kidnappers slash husbands for so long. But she offers another theory. In an article called Killing Cousins by the Ridleys that she references, these women would have recognized that they were married to some of the deadliest killers in the area. Men who had no problems murdering their own children. Yeah. Even if they did try to escape, there was a good chance the men would hunt them down and kill them in extremely cruel ways. Yeah. There's no getting out. Yeah. Not only that, but all three of the women had recently given birth. How could Mm -hmm. they have survived with infants in the wilderness on their own? Yeah. Let alone running, trying to outrun men that clearly were strong enough to kill other men. Easily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Kentucky governor, James Garrard, issued a $300 reward, which would be about $6,800 today, on April 22nd, 1799, for each of the Hart men's heads. So that's a total of $600 for both. Mm-hmm. And the bounty went out to the general public in mid-May. The reward posters included the following descriptions for the men. Quote, Mickey Harp, alias Roberts, is about six feet high, of robust make, and is about 30 or 32 years of age. He has an ill-looking, downcast countenance, and his hair is black and short, but comes very much down his forehead. He is built very straight and is full-fleshed in the face. When he went away, he had on a striped nankeen coat, dark blue woolen stockings, leggings of drab cloth, and trousers of the same as the coat. Hmm. Wiley Harp, alias Roberts, is very meager in his face, has short black hair, but not quite so curly as his brother's. He looks older, though really younger, and has likewise a downcast countenance. He had on a coat of the same stuff as his brother's and had a surtout coat over the close-bodied one, his stockings dark woolen ones, and his leggings of drab cloth, end quote. So a lot of people assumed the Harps were actual brothers. Not many people really understood that they were cousins. Hmm. I suppose they didn't really care to ask. I suppose it's a lot scarier to be like, the Harp brothers instead of the Harp cousins are coming to get us. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Meanwhile, the men and their families fled north, where they killed a man named Dooley in Metcalf County, Kentucky, before camping on the bank of the Barren River across from a man named Frederick Stump. Frederick rode to the other shore with his fiddle and a ton of fish, to share with the families. Instead of thanks, he was stabbed, disemboweled, and his body was stuffed with rocks before it was thrown into the river. 
When they came upon the Saline River, they found three men camping nearby and slaughtered all three of them. The group made their way to Cave in the Rock in southern Illinois, which was the hideout of the Samuel Mason gang. Samuel Mason was a river pirate who helped fellow outlaws and highwaymen. He and his gang would invite riverboat travelers to eat and rest in the safety of their literal cave and rob them blind when they continue their way around the Ohio Riverbend. I mean, that makes sense. They're still pirates. Yeah. Yeah. So the posse that had been pursuing the Harps and their families followed them into southern Illinois, but they stopped just short of Cave in the Rock for some reason, and they turned around. Hmm. Maybe they knew and they were like, we really don't want to mess with these people. I don't know. It was, I don't know. At this time, the Harps, their wives, and their three children stayed with Samuel and his gang for a short while until they started taking travelers to the top of the bluff where they'd strip them naked and throw them over the side. Just for fun. Just for fun. Mm. After that, they were asked to leave in May of 1799. Samuel and his followers wanted no part in the Harps' murderous activities. That's saying a lot. Yeah, because they were like... We'll rob people, but we're not going to murder them for our own amusement. That's not our jam. And the thing that I forgot to note in here about Samuel is he was previously part of the military. So Mm -hmm. even though he is like a pirate and he's stealing from people, he does have some morals. Yeah. We're not just going to kill children and women and men and like throw them off Mm -hmm. the tops of the bluff after stripping them naked for our own amusement that's just not what we do here yeah which good for you the families made their way back to eastern tennessee where they continued to kill people for fun in july 1799 they killed a farmer named bradbury a man named hardin near knoxville and on july 22nd a young boy named isaac coffee on black oak ridge so they could take his rifle the boy had been dragged off his horse and had his head beaten against a tree until he died What a horrible, violent death. Yeah. It wasn't long before even more bodies started turning up, like that of William Ballard, who had been disemboweled and thrown into the Holton River two days after the men had killed Isaac. Mm. On July 29th, James and Robert Brassel became their next intended victims in Morgan County, Tennessee. The September 26th, 1799 edition of the Carolina Gazette recounted the story of how the Harps had used a popular trick asking the Brassels to help them search for the Harp Boys, since not everyone knew what they looked like. The Brassel brothers agreed, and after entering the woods to begin their search, the Harps turned on the Brassels and accused them of being the Harps, and ordered them to dismount their horses and turn over their weapons. While James's hands were being bound by one of the Harps, Robert jumped off his horse and made his escape by outrunning Wiley, who had chased and shot at him. After traveling around 10 miles, Robert encountered a man named Mr. Dale and his four travel companions. He pleaded for their help, and when Robert and the group returned, James's body was found at Brassel's Knob. His throat had been viciously sliced open, and he'd been horribly beaten. Near the Tennessee-Kentucky border, the body of another man named John Tooley had also been found. The spree continued into south-central Kentucky, where John Graves and his teenage son were found with their heads axed off in Logan County. Near Adairville, Kentucky, in Clay Lick Woods, the men slaughtered the families and servants of two Trisward families as they slept at their campsite. How horrible. Quote, 
At least 10 men, women, and children were murdered, their bodies stripped, mangled, and hopelessly disfigured. End quote. So they just keep escalating. Mm -hmm. Trigger warning. Skip ahead a minute or so if you need to avoid mentions of infanticide. August 1799, the Harps bashed the skull of a young slave boy against a tree, then went on to murder a young girl who, quote, was picking wild berries and wandered further from home, end quote. When she was discovered, she'd been decapitated and they'd, quote, cut off one leg to her body and all the toes on her foot, end quote. Oh, my God. That same month in Russellville, Kentucky, Mickey killed his daughter, Lovey, by bashing her head against a tree for crying. He allegedly stated it was the only murder that he regretted. Lovey was around nine months old and had been crying nonstop due to illness. Oh, God. So she was probably already dying, just like slowly and painfully. He took the child, quote, slung it by the heels against a large tree and literally bursting its head into a dozen pieces, threw it from him as far as his great strength enabled him into the woods, end quote. These people aren't even human anymore. Like, no, they're just no. not, they're not, they haven't been human for a while. Yep. It's been reported that at least three of the numerous harp children survived, but the majority of them were killed. At the end of this, know that three children of, I don't know how many, survived. Also in August, a man named Trowbridge was discovered disemboweled in Highland Creek. At this time, the Harps were traveling into Kentucky disguised as Methodist preachers after splitting up from their wives. That's horrifying. Yeah. They met up with a local named James Tompkins, who believed they were preachers and invited them to his home for a meal. Mm. Ironically, James was not killed. In fact, while at his home... Mickey provided James with a teacup full of gunpowder when he told the pair that he had run out and was unable to use his gun. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. It's so random. Yeah. After this, the Harps left and instead headed towards the home of Silas McBee, who was a local justice of the peace. They had plans to kill and rob him, but because he had such aggressive guard dogs, they decided against it and continued on. The Harps were given shelter at the Stiegel farmstead in Webster County but that was a mistake the family wouldn't live long enough to regret. While there, they killed Major William Love, who had also been staying at the home when his snoring had bothered Mickey, so he, quote, smashed a tomahawk through his skull to silence him, end quote. Oh, God. Okay. Trigger warning for infanticide again. Skip ahead 30 seconds if you need to. The following morning, Mrs. Stiegel's four-month-old son James's throat was slit when he cried after she had entrusted the men to watch him while she made them breakfast. Mrs. Stiegel found herself murdered as well after she screamed at the sight of her dead son. After killing all the people in the home, the harp set the cabin on fire. (sighs) While leaving the area, they stumbled upon the campsite of two men named Hudgens and Gilmore. The next morning, the Harps apprehended the two and accused them of committing the murders at the Stigall home, as well as the robbery and arson. They shot and killed Gilmore right away, and even though Hudgens managed to escape, he was also gunned down. Following this, the Harps continued their flight as they attempted to outrun the posse that was tracking them, a posse that was led by Moses Stigall, whose family had been slaughtered by the two men. So he kind of he really yeah, wanted to find them. Highly motivated posse. 
On August 24, 1799, the posse tracked down the Harps, who had reunited with their wives in Mullenburg County, Kentucky, and ordered them to surrender. When the pair decided to flee instead, Mickey was shot in the leg and the back by a man named John Leeper, delaying him enough that the posse was able to catch up to him and pull him from his horse. As he lay on the ground dying, he confessed to 20 murders before Moses Stagall slowly cut Mickey's head off while he was still alive. His last words were apparently, quote, you're a goddamned rough butcher, but con on and be damned, end quote. Yeah, I don't think he has to worry about being damned. Yeah. Big Harp's head was later hung on a pike at a crossroads near Henderson, Kentucky, where the road forked in two directions, towards Marion and Eddyville on one side, and towards Madisonville and Russellville on the other. For years afterwards, the spot would be known as Harp's Head. Dark. Yeah. Meanwhile, Wiley had managed to escape to Natchez, Mississippi, and made his way into Spanish Louisiana, where he rejoined the Samuel Mason gang. For four years, he lived in the area using the alias John Seddon. In 1803, members of the gang were arrested by the Spanish government, and 20 scalps were found in Samuel's luggage. Ew. Who just, who just like, has scalps? What the fuck? I know. I don't know why I'm surprised. I don't. I really don't. But, like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> yeah. Y'all want to see my scalp collection? This one's nice. Yeah. <laughs> which was enough evidence to convince them to have the gang extradited back to America for trial. During transport on the Mississippi River, they were able to escape, and Wiley probably would have continued to live out his life and get away with what he'd done had he not gotten greedy. Uh-oh. Yeah. A large reward, $2,000, which is around $47,000 today, yeah. was offered for the head of Samuel Mason. So Wiley and another pirate named James May killed Mason and took his head to collect the reward money. This was an yeah, extremely dumb move on their part, as both of them were recognized as outlaws and arrested. <sighs> After managing to escape from the law, they were quickly recaptured, tried, and sentenced to be hanged. In January 1804... Both men were hanged and their heads were removed and placed on tall stakes along the Natchez Road as a gruesome warning to fellow outlaws. Hmm. Between the two of them, the Harps killed between 40 to 50 men, women, and children. Maybe even more, I would assume. Possibly even more, yeah. As for the women and children, they had been rounded up at camp the day that Mickey was shot and killed. All three women, who each had a child were taken to an empty blockhouse in Henderson. A week later, on September 4th, all three women were charged as parties to the murders of Mary Stagall, her infant son James, and Captain William Love. They were relocated to Russellville for their trial, but were released in October 1799. They hadn't even been there. But, of course, that's not something yeah. that the authorities would have known. Right. Sally Rice Harp, who had been married to Wiley, returned to Knoxville, Tennessee, to live with her father, the preacher, she went on to marry a man named James Thompson, and the couple, along with her father, moved to Illinois. In some places, it said she went on to have a large family and would also marry a third man following the death of her husband, James. But I wasn't able to find any records of more children or information on her third husband. She died sometime okay. after 1834 and is buried in Lawrence County, South Carolina. Oh. 
Susan Wood, who had been married to Mickey, chose to stay in the Russellville area, where she went on to live a respectable life until her death in Tennessee. Her date of death is unknown, and a historian named Otto A. Rothert believes that she at some point remarried and her daughter moved to Texas. But I couldn't locate any information to back up this claim, because the only known daughter that they had for her was Lovey, and she'd been killed by her father. Yeah. So I don't know what happened to her other child. Interesting. Maria Davidson, who became Mickey's second wife and also went by the moniker of Betsy Roberts, Mm -hmm. went on to marry a man named John Huffstutler in September 1803. The couple moved to Hamilton County, Illinois in 1828, where they raised a large family until their deaths in the 1860s. It's not surprising that many of the members who made up the Harp clan went on to change their names and distance themselves from the violent acts that their kin had committed. So it's also entirely possible that the three children that those women had changed their names. And that's why we have no idea where they went or who they are. Yeah, I would have. Can't imagine. Yeah. So at the time of their deaths, Mickey Big Harp would have been between 31 and 51, depending on what date you believe he was born. And Wiley Little Harp would have been between 34 and 54. I'm going to say that they were likely born in 1748 and 1750, respectively. Otherwise, the timeline doesn't make sense with their ages, which means that they would have been born in Scotland and immigrated while they were still fairly young. Because if you go by the later dates that it says they were born, they would have been five when they went to go be slave overseers. You can't be five years old and oversee slaves. I'm sorry. I don't care how precocious you are as a five-year-old. That's not going to (laughs) work. It would make sense as to why it didn't work out, but. (laughs) I don't think they recruited five-year-olds in the army. Sorry. I'm just going on a limb there. I know they needed a lot of men during the Revolutionary War, but. (laughs) Yeah. So I will die on that hill, I guess. To close out this tale, I need to share a paranormal urban legend surrounding Mickey B. Harp. Okay. Prior to his death, Mickey and his cousin traveled all over, obviously, Kentucky, Tennessee, Illinois, but also along the Natchez Trail into Mississippi. There is a place along the Natchez Trail between the cities of Tupelo and Houston, Mississippi, that is named Witch Dance. Witch Dance was supposedly used by a coven of witches who would gather for nightly revels and rituals. Legend states that wherever the witches' feet would touch during their dances, the grass would wither and die, and nothing would grow on the spot ever again. Now, at some point, Mickey was traveling along Natchez Trace with an indigenous guide who pointed out to him the bare spots on the ground and told him the legend of witch dance. Mickey, thinking it was a great laugh, started to jump from spot to spot and dared any witches to come out and fight him. Because of course he did. Of course he did. After Mickey returned to Kentucky, where he was tracked down and killed in August of 1799, It said that his skull was later removed from the tree where it had been placed by a witch who ground it into a powder that she used in a potion to heal a sick relative. Word of this strange occurrence soon started to spread, and anytime travelers in the trace retold the tale, they swore they could hear cackling laughter coming from the trees in nearby brush by where his head used to be. Gross. Hate it. Hate it all. That was the super fun story of the Hart brothers, who weren't actually brothers. They were cousins. Who hated freedom. And being decent human beings. And weren't human. (laughs) 
They were Scottish werewolves. Gross. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) It's not your fault. (laughs) You didn't know how bad this would get. It got real bad. Yeah. Ghost stories are always scarier when they're told by the very people who experienced them. Hi, I'm Becky. And I'm Diana. And we're the hosts of the Homespun Haints podcast. We talk to people just like you who've come face to face with ghosts, demons, haints, and other strange paranormal phenomena. All of it makes for a chilling good time. So grab yourself a sweet tea, turn off the lights, and listen to some eerie, true ghost stories on Homespun Haints wherever you get your podcasts. I'm not scared. Are you? On that note, this week's podcast plug is Homespun Haints. Haint is a ghost, spirit, or ghoul that lives in the imaginations, homes, yards, and businesses of the American South, or any other region that wants to lay claim to them. In Homespun Haints, Becky and Diana interview fellow lovers of the paranormal who share their own ghostly encounters. If you love hearing firsthand accounts of the unexplained, I highly recommend you check out their show. I will actually be a guest on an upcoming episode that I'll be sure to share on our social once it's out. Nice. And this week's listener question comes from M from the Drink Drunk Dead and Pineapple Pizza podcast. And she wants to know, if you were a pirate captain, which is kind of fitting given this episode, what would your signature Jolly Roger look like? Jolly Roger's the flag, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, what would your colors be? What would your flag look like? It'd be a bird because I hate him. Because you hate like a morning dove spreading misery and loud noises everywhere. And my calling card would be the call of the morning dove. Just drab, gray, or taupe like the morning dove. Stupid <laughs> morning doves. <laughs> would you call it like morning dove like you're morning because I'm going to kill you instead of morning dove like the morning where the sun is raising? Yeah, I'd definitely be like mourn as in I'm mourn the loss of everything you love because the morning dove <laughs> ship is coming. <laughs> yeah, the noise would strike fear in the lives of everyone that was around. <laughs> like, no, it's the morning dove. Everybody run. <laughs> throw everything overboard so we can be lighter and move faster if my friends hear this episode they're gonna lose their minds because they know i hate morning doves so much (laughs) just because that one that one that kept coming back to my apartment crying at like three in the morning every morning trash (laughs) all right what's yours (laughs) i really like yours I don't know if I can top that. Um, and it's funny because I'm picturing the morning dove with like a knife in its mouth, like a knife in its beak for some reason. Now I kind of want to draw that. And like the horn. Or have somebody draw it for us. The horn that makes the sound is a morning dove. It's like carved in wood. <laughs> Someone just blows into the end of it. Yes. And then you're like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Hide your hide your wares. Here comes some morning dove. <sighs> okay. I kind of want to have the Kraken. Yeah. I mean, you have always loved the Kraken in various ways in your life. Because it's kind of like 
Cthulhu. My Jolly Roger would be a Kraken, and the flag would just be like probably just black because I'm basic. Yeah. I can't think of any other cool color. That's okay. If you think about it, there's probably not a lot of dyes and stuff, you know? No. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to put too invest too much money in your flag, all right? <laughs> yeah. Chances are it's not going to last forever, so. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, on that note, what's something good you'd like to share? Something good. I had my first day off that I chose to have as a day off since I started my new job. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's been eight months almost. I finally took a day yeah. off. Yeah. So good for it was you. weird. It was weird and I didn't know what to do. So I did nothing. <laughs> That's what you um, do. You do nothing if you can. Yeah. But it was really, it was nice. But now it makes me want to take other days off, which I know my coworkers would be like, no, don't. <laughs> so, because of course. Like, that's good, but no. Yeah. Like, of course, things happened with my projects. And luckily, my incredible team took care of it. But it was very hard getting pings from Slack channels and not responding. But they didn't want me to. So I held off. And it was hard. But yeah, it was just, it was nice. It was nice to kind of unplug for a little bit. Mm-hmm. What about you? What's a, what's a good thing this week? I was thinking to myself when you were like, when I took a day off for the first time in like eight months, it reminded me of back when we were still in the office. Mm-hmm. It became like a, a not very funny running joke that every time I would take time off, someone would either like put in their notice or be like, let go. <laughs> so I would come back to the oh. office and they'd be like, so-and-so is leaving or so-and-so is fired. And I'm like, I'm not allowed to leave anymore. Like I I should not leave the office ever because something bad's gonna happen. Wow. I mean it doesn't Your Jolly Roger is a two week notice. Jesus. Seriously. It's a pink slip. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a pink flag. Pink flag with a kraken on it. So my good thing is I ran out of one of my scented candles this week, which is a good thing because then I was able to use this other scented candle that I have that yeah. I got from Emily for Christmas. And it smells amazing. It's huckleberry, lemon, and vanilla. And the label says, you work harder than an ugly stripper. Nice. And I love it. You do. It smells so good. Like if it was, if I had a nice bathtub that I could actually like relax in, and there was a bath bomb that was scented the way this candle is scented, I would never leave that bathtub. I would live (laughs) in that bathtub. I'd become the bath lady that just like smells like an ugly stripper and (laughs) has like one of those like trays to do her to do her work in the bathtub that'd be me yeah so yeah i'm very uh i'm very grateful for that candle because it smells amazing even when it's not lit i can just walk into my office and my office smells amazing i'll be sad when it's gone better go find more Mm -hmm. i know i may have to go and like buy the rest of their stock (laughs) (laughs) give me everything all right. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram and Facebook at yieldcrimepodcast. We're also on YouTube. Please subscribe because now that we're recording using Riverside, we may actually start putting out some unedited bonus content of us talking to each other during recordings, maybe. I don't know. I don't have time for extra stuff, but I'm going to say it anyway. Woo-hoo! And, uh... <laughs> We also have a P.O. box. That was a lovely transition. Get her candles. All right. Just go buy the ugly stripper candle. Send us scented candles. As long as it is not pine. I 
hate the smell of oh, pine. Oh, I love pine. You can, you can send me pine. Okay, send pine to Maddie. Send ugly stripper candles to me. <laughs> to Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, <laughs> Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions so you can get a shout out on the show. And if you have story ideas or if you're like, you should read this thing, send it my way. I like reading things. I can't. (laughs) I can't read. I read. (laughs) A great way to support the show if you want to help us, but you don't have any money. I totally get it. You can leave us a five-star rating and review, like user Julia Dow did on Apple Podcasts, and she's from Canada. So hello, Canada. Hello, Canada. She says, awesome mix of TC and history. Five stars. There are so many true crime podcasts out there, but this one's different. I love that they have the history component to it. I feel like I learn a lot, but it's also fun and the commentary is funny. Fun learning? Sign me up. You just did, Julia. Thank you. You were signed up. It took it took me way too long to figure out that TC is true crime. It's I was okay. like, TC, wow, that too. sounds exotic. <laughs> <laughs> I need to leave. <laughs> like, I'm going to take a nap. If you would like to support us financially, we're not going to say no. You can leave us a one-time donation on Buy Me a Coffee or join our Patreon for as low as a dollar to get early ad-free access to all of our content. Or you can go on Redbubble and buy some of our merch. And the reason we're on Redbubble is because you can buy fun hats. We love you hats. Some of our designs on a shower curtain. If you wanted a shower curtain, you could get a rug. You can make aprons with our stuff on it and so much more. On our I'm going to make a lot of poor decisions Shop. soon. <laughs> <laughs> I go to your house and it's just all like yield crime stuff. And you're just like, I have a problem. <laughs> Bull weevil this and scully that and team trampoline. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.